Welcome back to Project Outsiders. If you are returning, thank you so much for your support and joining us along on our journey to improving the foster care system. For those who are new, welcome to the Foster Care Experience podcast. We are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth and care with decision makers. We are all youth from care who have been pushed by our experiences to ensure we see changes to a disconnected system. In today's episode, we will be talking about what it's like being Black and in care. And helping us with this conversation are two youth advocates with distinct viewpoints. Kingston has been advocating for youth for over seven years. He is a transgender male and a single parent. Coming from an American background, Kingston has a unique experience of not only what it means to be a Black youth in care, but also becoming a Canadian. He has been learning about another side of his Black culture, which has evolved his identity and made him more connected to his roots. Aiden is a biracial youth with an affinity for advocating for all youth, regardless of identity and culture. He has also been advocating for over seven years and uses his positive experience and care to educate others on what is possible. He is also pursuing an education in psychology at Mohawk College. I would now like to introduce to you these two beautiful humans. Welcome. So let's see. I I don't even remember where we left off. I know exactly where we left off because I was about to speak. (laughs) <laughs> okay, do you want to continue off from where we were? Yeah, so um, we were talking about uh, suicide being viewed as or people with suicidality or um, suicidal my, my, uh, complexes being considered weak um, because yeah. they broke. I believed that for a long time, up until I'd say grade 9 or 10. Um, and then my view about that switched from it's weak to it requires durability to keep it to stand in this world so i don't like look at it from a strength or weakness context because you can be super strong and be fragile it's all hell um like there's some people who are super strong and then like you ask them to do something and they twist their back in the wrong way and then they snap a disc in their back and then they then all the strength in the world won't save them yeah. Right. So it's it's uh it's a different type of strength being durable. So yeah, um, resilience. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a thing that we get told all the time. We're resilient, we're durable, you can mm-hmm. walk it walk and walk and walk and walk and not not fall. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, for a long time, because I'd had grew up with white people in my life. I grew up with white kids as my best friends and like i'd hear complaints and complaints and complaints i'm like your life isn't even half as bad as the war as the easiest parts of my life and you're bitching moaning complaining talking about suicide over this mm-hmm. like that's not well the way i like to look at it or well, a couple things i always like make a list on when you guys talk but um first of all i feel like on the whole s- part of like my viewpoints changed since then being um, <laughs> proud of you let's not let's yeah, not me pay too. me out like i think that suicide, but, um, people commit suicide or no, of course not. Yeah. but like um i think that has a lot to do just like with being black you know what i mean like they i think 
I'm I think not me, but like we're expected to um to not get to that breaking point. Yeah. You know, we're expected like mental health is not talked about mm-hmm. within our culture. And we're even if even if it is, like we're literally just expected to deal with it. You know what I mean? Like it's if you do have mental health issues, just expected to leave keep that to yourself and buck up. You know what I mean? And I um I feel like when it does come to situations like um especially black youth in the system or in just in any system, I think um that's one why it's not talked about and two why it's looked down upon or considered weak or whatever because um literally like we're just black like giving birth well we have like 50 other problems right mm -hmm. like when you're when you're dealing with so much Mm -hmm. you're not gonna look and be like hey your mental health make sure you check that out Mm -hmm. and like the studies mm-hmm. and, and stuff yeah. like that. Mental health yeah. is an evolving concept. Like, it's not always been there. Like, we've always known that people can go crazy, be crazy, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, The idea it's, of it's changing. Well, even caring about it's changing. And I think that um, it, the difference a lot of the time is poverty, right? Like, if you're impoverished, you're more likely to go through those negative stresses. Uh, the same, you go through the same amount as everybody else, but you're more likely to just shrug them off because you got shit to do. Yeah. You got to wake up and go to work to get the bread that you're going to feed yourself with tonight. It's there's no excess. There's no time to waste. There's no you can't stop focusing. Because as soon as you do that pathway that you're paving as as you walk stops too. And if you keep walking while not paving it, you finna slip and fall into nothing. And uh and so you focus on what you can and you ignore what you can't focus on what you can't afford to focus on and that's why it's viewed oftentimes to black people as a luxury because the greater majority of black people are impoverished or low class and when you have an issue like that and then you compare it to impoverished white people or white people in general most white people at some point weren't impoverished Right. Like the majority of white people aren't impoverished. And so even though you might have a white person who is in poverty now, like my mom came from a family that was not in poverty, but low to middle class. They both their parents worked hard and they made some money. And then when she moved to Canada because she's an immigrant, um, she became impoverished by the fact that she got uh, divorced. Right. So like now now that's a whole new world for her to explore. And so mental health granted irish immigrant old irish people didn't really care about mental health um but mental health is a whole new field that or uh, is a field that might have already been explored in the time of people who have access like we look at therapy as a white people thing my whole life as growing up they go oh you go to therapy go to therapy i'm like nah that's for that's for i viewed it and i went that's for bitches excuse Mm -hmm. my language uh, that's for weak people is how I viewed it. And then I also viewed it as like, no, nah, that's something that white people do. Like mm-hmm. that's something, that's something that other people do. That's not me. Um, and so like those, that mindset changed for me. Like I had a couple of friends try and since then there's been tons of mental health issues that I've done dealt with for my friends and tried to help them get back on track and stuff like that. And obviously being a kid in care and, Knowing a bunch of kids in care, everybody's got PTSD and trauma and stuff like that in their background. So helping them and being there for them, supporting them is a whole nother step, right? Like 
even learning how to, you know, use the right pronouns was a big leap for me. And when King was there with the whole walkthrough for that one, tripped up a couple of times. I'm not going to lie. It took me a while, but like the reason King and I still have a good relationship is because I was able to learn and, and figure those things out the same way I was able to learn and go, yeah, you know what? It's not a matter of strength. It's not a matter of just pushing through. It's a matter of how long can you keep doing it? Yeah. How long can you walk with that monkey on your back? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And like sometimes that's the thing that, you know, it's not <coughs> talked about is that if when you don't take care of one of the biggest pressing issues, it will show up in your life in a different way. Whether it's like physical ailment of some kind or permanent you know, mental disabilities like, you know, paranoia, schizophrenia or something like that. That's what happened to my mom essentially because she was constantly going through so much stress on a regular basis and never got the care for it. She is now permanently suffering and it's too late for her. And that's what a lot of people don't talk about and don't realize that that that's what needs to change. We do have to address these issues. We do have to be able to take care of ourselves because when it comes to a point where we can't, well then, you know, do you who do you have in your circle that will, you know, take over for you kind of thing? Nobody. That's the I'm individual, but um, or I'm I'm independent. That's like my big thing is like if I do. If but somebody's not when running my, are you not, if someone's running my life, it's me running my life. But the, here's the thing, you know, and I used to have the same mentality until I wasn't able to carry myself up anymore. You know, it came to the point where I was, you know, question. I, I wasn't even questioned. I was certain that this world didn't deserve me, you know, because I was pushing, I was supporting, I was being good right but i was still being spat on basically disrespected and so you know and there weren't even small things it was large traumas happening to me over and over again and i was just expected to deal with it and it just took one more for me to be like i don't have the strength anymore i don't have the mental capacity I've been doing this for so long and I have no one in my circle. So my thing was, I was constantly scared of being able to really trust anybody with my vulnerability. And so when it came to a point where I can no longer care for myself, um, I can no longer be strong anymore to have that fear of like having someone in your circle who is now able to take over that power for you and be like, you don't have to be strong anymore. Let me take care of you, okay? You just heal. I will now be your power. I will now take over that pain, take it away from you. And once um, it comes to somebody who's now, your, your glass is broken, right? It's just cracked. You need somebody else to put together those pieces. And for me, that was my brother. He came and he like saved me and he said, I love you unconditionally. You don't have to be strong anymore. And I needed that so desperately, you know. Oh God, I love you, Adrian. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so that's what my fear was that yes, I'm independent without question. I don't like to rely on anybody, but it comes to a point even if it's temporary for me, quite frankly, it was only two weeks in which I needed somebody to take over, right? And then I was able to have enough energy to kind of just push through the trauma on my own and survive, 
it was just like that survival was like for me I couldn't survive on my own I needed somebody to you know allow me to survive you know so, yeah. to me that's the purpose of family right like and granted we don't always have that option I'm blessed with the fact that I do have that option I've always been blessed with that um not with every single one of my family members, but I have a mother who will move heaven and hurt if I need her to, and I have foster parents who do the damn same. So, I mean, I've always been thankful for that. Um, but it's, I think, 16, I learned that dehydration affects your mental state. Mm-hmm. I learned that when I was 16. I don't know why I learned that when I was 16. I watched Avatar, I saw cactus juice being drank, and somebody getting all loopy on it um but i i learned that dehydration affects your mental state and the simple fact that an imbalance in water in the human body could affect your mental your ability to rationally think your ability to perceive things your ability to move your ability to continue struggling if you need to just a liter of water could impair you so much mm-hmm. and like that's when but i went, couldn't save you you know water can't save you from being on the streets homeless in the middle of the no winter. it can't but here's the thing right like that taught me that your body and mind aren't separate your body your mind your spirit all of that stuff that all of that's one like all of that mm-hmm. so when you're and it's to your point earlier where it's like you know, if you push something away, if you don't balance, then something's going to break or something's going to come up later on and it's going to be twice as worse, mm-hmm. right? So um, so if you're not balancing the fact that you have mental health issues that you have to deal with or if you're not recognizing, you know, what's going on that's causing you great stress, it's going to manifest itself somewhere else. It's because if you, like, if I don't, you know, if, when I don't eat healthy... I feel like garbage. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. <laughs> um, what my biggest issue was, was that I couldn't have control over my situation. You know? So when it comes to a point that, yes, you could drink water, you could feed yourself. I, oh, my God. I was so surprised <coughs> of how amazing food was and how life-changing it was to actually make you... Um, have more energy and shit like that one time first year university but um it was just like for me when it comes to and this goes for a lot of kids in care as well your lack of control over a situation really can have a huge impact in which it can affect your body your mind and your your spirit right so your lack of food intake because of your foster parents or your foster home or because they are the ones that control the food your lack of control over mental health because of the traumas that's constantly being put onto you mm-hmm. it's kind of just like at one point when you don't take care of your mental health yeah that's one thing but how are you able to take care of your mental health when you're constantly being surrounded by more and more input of trauma into your life and that's well, and that's my point is 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 it's like it's to your point right like it's i when i learned it the way i learned it was um that if like i to me it felt like your mind and your body are connected by your spirit right so like if 
you are feeling nuts, you're going to feel disheartened and then you're going to feel it physically. You're going to be yeah. exhausted. You're yeah. going to be waking up and feeling like, what the heck is going on? Why do I feel so off? You can't put a name on it. Mm -hmm. You can't describe, if you went to the doctor, they'd say you're fine. Physically, you're in perfect health, right? Like there's that. You could also end up getting sick just from mental stress. Yeah. You Like there's ways that it could actually affect you far more physically, but even just like you're having a bad day, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you feel like you can't do something that day. It's a feeling. It's not physical, right? Mm -hmm. you, you get this sense. Mm -hmm. And that's where I say it's like it comes from a, yeah. a connection between something that's metaphysical and then a thing that's physical and a thing that's mental. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I remember, and I'll let you like, yeah, get put in your input, is like this one guy said that you could just make yourself happy. Like you could just smile and feel, make yourself feel good right now. And, and when he, and that was like the whole idea of like his point behind, you know, um, for those who are suicidal are weak. I'm like, that's kind of just like, so you could just make yourself happy when you're just constantly being surrounded by negativity and trauma. You're, boy, you don't know people, <laughs> you know? Well, it's how long can you make yourself, that's the durability exactly. factors. How long can you put on that face? How yeah. long can you walk with your mask? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Um, sorry. <laughs> Question. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about, like, this whole idea? Because, like, we were kids in care, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole point of the foster care system was to be able to provide them with a more stable family. Mm -hmm. So, technically, you know, there's a lot of people who were talking about in the black community where a lot of people only have one mother father is not typically in the home and that really does change the whole dynamic of how they it looks like for them to grow up mm -hmm. like what is your opinion on technically having almost like two fraud parents like two well, um, attempts of an appearance and how will that affect your growth well, like temporary parents let's call it that mm -hmm. yeah no i that was literally one of the main reasons why I couldn't handle foster homes. Um, yeah. It was too too personal. In my mind, if I was going to be in the system and I'm going to be in the situation, I don't want random people trying to fill in for people that, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't I don't want this person being like, hey, I'm your mom now. You know what I mean? Or, exactly. Like, I don't want somebody being like, oh, that's your foster mom, and they don't even know my last name without looking at a piece of paper. You know what exactly. I mean? Um, and so that was, like, I just, it, it's a little, um, it, that causes me more issues, that draws me further away, like, in a group home, I feel like I was able to, I would have at least the opportunity, the mental opportunity to connect with staff and stuff, because I felt like it was more possible, I didn't feel like the staff were, like, forcing me into a relationship, I feel like if I wanted that relationship with that staff member, I could have that relationship, you know? And then um, earlier, I'm just writing stuff down that I remember from earlier. Um, earlier, way, way back, when Aiden was talking about male mentor. Um, so I, that is a huge thing. And I just want to bring up my transness because I'm disgustingly gay about it. But, um, like, I, I, it was so difficult because any time there was anything going on, immediately they, especially living in a co-ed group home, like, they you they would have a, a female staff just given to you you know what i mean just immediately because they imagine 
you want a female you know what i mean mm. so um and i think one of the biggest problems was i was never provided with even the opportunity to have a male mentor you know what i mean mm. let alone black but a male mentor because i was just female bodied you know what i mean yeah. so um in the group homes and a, a lot of most of the staff in group homes especially co-ed ones are female anyways so um there's probably a lot of cis guys that deal with that same problem but as a trans person especially not having a father involved you know what i mean or a decent one like i needed that 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 was like everything that i needed and um especially a black one at that i finally got a black mentor um through cas because we have this this collective impact thing that's been going on and i got that was a hard push in and of itself yeah you won't believe what happened anyways um yeah so i got a mentor through that program and which is amazing and I was so happy and there was she's black she has experience experience with um single parents and it, that was like a big thing to me and again I needed that connection and this mentor wasn't specified as a mentor this could be is a lifelong partnership yeah. literally that's the way they phrased it so um so like I was excited to have that friend in her you know what I mean yeah and then I got offered this opportunity that I won't go to in detail with but that's what also gave me the opportunity to have a scholarship and all that stuff um but then I got offered this opportunity and unfortunately my mentor works for this program so then my mentor could no longer be my mentor I even had to call her on a different number I couldn't even text her the way I used to I couldn't call her the time that I used to because now everything and now she has to send me like emails after we talk with follow up and da 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 and it's like I had one opportunity at like a black friend that's the way I looked at it you know what I, I mean love that so much. and she was so close to me like she lived right beside me so now this program that I literally helped create with them I had the perfect mentor and it got pulled away from me like nothing I would love to actually bring up and plug in um a program that's actually being, um, I guess, uh, started or we're kind of in like the uh, in the next phases. It's called Cheers Mentorship Program in Toronto, mm-hmm. and it's literally what you're asking for: being able to have male, female, black mentors. Cheers is not run by Joy. No, it's it was run by Anaya, but um, yeah. the yeah, it had Anaya was actually at the OVOV, and mm-hmm. um, that's where I met her. Yeah, and I. Yeah. And now we have, like, a new leadership. Um, her name is Tamala. And right now, we've just finished, like, our training for this summer. And we're now going over to almost, like, um, finding those matches. Like, looking for mentees. We're looking for that mentorship mm-hmm. and providing it for them. So there's, it's great because, like, exactly what you're asking for is an absolute need. And it was recognized. Mm-hmm. And now there's something being put in place. So it's just a matter of, like, not a lot of people know about it just yet. But that is something that has huge potential. And it's and something I know the agency knows about because we had them w- meet with us at um, CWAC conferences and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. they're aware, like, yeah. that this is a program. This is definitely so something that can that, be man. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to. Um, yeah. That's why I feel like um, when you guys talking about this, the support person, I... Like, I, I feel like that's also why I wanted that so desperately, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I, I don't find I ever had anyone, like, like my mom or brother or any of that 
just because my family's just crappy, you know, all together. But, um, I mean, my family's not crappy. I love them. But we were just very dysfunctional. I'm considering the fact of where this video is going to go. Yeah. Um, he just remembered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is going up on yeah, all platforms. this is not a personal conversation. <laughs> um, anyways, but... So, um... Yeah. But, no, um... So, I just didn't have that support. And I think... I... F that... I was so helpless without that support for so long. Yeah. And then when I had my baby, I it's kind of like he was my support in a sense. Like, I'm yeah. not expecting him to help me. You know what I mean? He can barely talk or move by himself. But, but like, his, like, being alive. But his, yeah. his need forces you to be responsible. Yeah, his need for my support feels supportive. I feel, like I was saying before we started this it's conversation. This it's like this commitment to each other. Yeah, like I had an issue finding my reason for living. You know what I mean? My reason for living back to the whole suicidal ideation stuff. Like I, there was no reason. Even my, my, I was not a good enough reason to be alive. You know what I mean? And I would always have to use other people, and then other people would do me wrong, and then they're not a reason anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? So oh, then, so you then, just touched like on such a really big thing for I'm so many people. You. So yeah. um, my baby will always be a reason no matter what he does. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think I needed that reason to exist and that's the whole thing with like mentorship that i really want to push with any kind of program that wants to do mentorship the the biggest thing that really lacks within the foster care system is that consistency mm -hmm. that consistent support right being there when they need you and um and not only there to just be like you know present or you know like based off of different situations kind of determines what that relationship with the mentorship will really look like. Mm -hmm. If they're really able to be there in a time of need, that will ultimately change the entire relationship. You build a lot more trust. You know that you could fall back on that person. You know that you could open up to that person. And that is huge for so many kids in care because we don't trust nobody. Yeah. Right? Like a lot of us don't trust like anybody because nobody's given us a reason to. Nobody stayed around long enough mm -hmm. to be able to earn our trust. That's what I was about Nobody to say. Nobody has... Like, exactly. This is the biggest reason why I fought with the people at OVO. I was exactly. just about to say, yeah. Consistency is so important. That's what we spoke to about our to our mentors because like, we yeah. had to pick our mentors, you know? They and told like, us, no, not black people. And I was like, <laughs> then I'm not coming because my mentor is white and he's the person who makes me feel comfortable yeah. doing all this. Exactly. Um, but the people, like... They, um, what is it? They were just telling, we were talking to the mentors basically about how, um, like youth are going to push you away. You know what I mean? We can't trust nobody. We have no one to trust. Everyone that we could trust have done us wrong. Yeah. So be prepared for these youth that you're about to mentor to push you away because that's how they're going to test you. They need somebody that they can literally like piss off. You know what I mean? And make you never want to talk to them again, but, but somehow you still, you still stay there. Yeah. That's what we need in that mentorship. <laughs> So I completely agree with you I when you say we this. had no one. Need we to need to this. know that somebody won't break. Exactly. No matter how we're, we're like, going to break. We're going to break. And <laughs> so, when we break, can we rely on you kind mm -hmm. of thing, you know? Exactly. Ah, that is like the test of endurance mm -hmm. for like, ah, God. That's why <laughs> That's I say powerful, all of this mental stuff, all of this health stuff. You know what's really... It's all durability. And you know what's really interesting? A lot of these things, I swear, we've spoken about 
year after year after year. They know what we need, but they just don't listen. It's in the microphone. And that is why, personally, and I'm going to look into the camera while saying this, that is why we need these policymakers, we need these decision makers, we need these board members. We need these board members, policymakers, members of the ministry. If they are ready for real change, they need to sit down and we need to develop an action plan. Because like for too long, we've been talking, but you haven't spoken with us for the longest time. You haven't spoken to us, but we've been talking just to have the conversation and nothing gets done. We've talked too much. We are now presenting you guys all the information that you need, right? We will give you everything. You just need to be able to put it in to fruition, right? And that's what we are actually going to be here. Us leaders, us youth advocates, that's what we're going to help you do. You just need to commit. And so... And we always It's really have. not that hard, too. Like, I don't want to yell, <laughs> but, like, it's not Please that not hard. We're telling you what to do. We're showing you what to do. Yeah. We're giving you the tools to do what you need right. to do. All you have to just do, do is it. do it. <laughs> like, it's do not it. And we know exactly who we need to target because we've now that I've started to go through the system and understand who makes the final decision, mm-hmm. it's the politicians. It's always been. So, politicians. <laughs> I just want to know, this has always been my biggest question ever since I've been in care. Ever since I started advocating, I've always wanted to know, why in the Lord's name is children's lives a partisan issue? Mm. Why is it fought over like conservatives are going to do it one way, NDP are going to do it another, and liberals are going to do it another? Why the hell do I need to care about what alignment the government feels like it is today? Or people feel like is needed today and that goes for, for my life to be able to at least be successful so by my choice. Let's get down to the facts now super quickly. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And what Jane Korvakova is currently doing with the CW PAC, Child Welfare Political Action Committee, is that this whole issue, especially when it comes to education, you know, it is a partisan issue. It changes based off of which party is in office. And so what she's trying to do currently is go through the schools, so post-secondary schools, to initiate tuition waivers. So I personally called a Mac. <clears throat> and so Mac, I would love, honestly, it would just be life-changing to be able to know that regardless of how old we are, regardless of when we are ready to actually be able to go to school once we've done the necessary work to overcome our traumas, to be able to have that access through being able to just have the tuitions taking care of us, you know, just have the schools take care of us. Because to be honest, post-secondary was the first time that I've actually seen structure. It was the first time in which I felt safe and home, saw consistency. It was unbelievable. My counselor at McMaster, my doctor, my psychiatrist, they cared. Yeah, I didn't still do the res. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, she I still right do. Right now. <laughs> she on yeah. right now. We're in off-campus housing. Don't come find me. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Don't come find me. 
<laughs> please. Um, but like, you know, like it changed my life so much because I saw structure. And, you know, that's another really big issue that's like a determinant factor for a lot of kids in care is that post-secondary. Barely anybody graduates from high school, let alone post-secondary. And it's structure you choose. Yeah. It's structure you choose. We do have to You choose get it. to choose your schedule. You get to choose what time you go to classes. Yeah. You get to choose. You have to make the commitment to we you. We have the control. To go to your class because yeah. you want the yes. education for oh. you. Exactly. And it's so much more liberating than when I went to high school. And, like, I missed zero days of high school mm. with the exception of court dates uh, and with the exception of one time I tried to pull Mount to Halt Day on my foster parents, they yeah. did not have that. <laughs> <laughs> they were not about it. They didn't yeah, believe it. Funny. I was mad furious. I was having the worst <laughs> day of my life. It was also in grade 13. Um, it was I took a lap year. Um, it, was, it was in grade 13. I was having a horrible day. I had had a fight with my girlfriend before, and it was, like, really bogging me down mentally. Wasn't feeling great. Didn't want to go to school. Mm-hmm. I I didn't go to school, but they were mad furious about about it about me with, or with me about it. So um, and like I went to school every day, and the days that I was at school, ninety five percent of the time I wasn't caring. I was smart enough to get through school without really needing to do much work. I was talented enough with talking that I could make teachers give me longer periods of time. To finish something mm-hmm. if i didn't feel like doing it i procrastinated the day that i procrastinated to all all the lengths i could i just pushed it mm-hmm. i got to college that didn't fly yeah. granted i was able to sweet talk sweet talk some teachers into giving me a day but then in that day i had to get it done and i did i always mm-hmm. did but yeah. it was a whole different scenario what were you guys mm-hmm. say um um I'm sorry, I keep on bringing up stuff from past conversations, but um, very quickly, the whole control thing, like, um, being in care, you obviously have such very little control, and I think that was the biggest, that's the biggest thing that was responsible, I mean, besides myself, for me, um, starting the drugs I started, honestly. Um, like, I, I was just so, like, insistent on having control of something you know what i mean just of something and um what do you call it yeah of just literally anything and i with drugs i the way i looked at it was i could have control of my body at least yeah at least i had control over my body at least i had control over when i was being productive because i'm overly active right now you know what i mean or something (laughs) like that um anyway so i just feel like that control thing not having that control can lead to way much more significant issues like Mm -hmm. further in life Mm -hmm. especially like substance use also um i'm not gonna say the actual name of the program because i don't know if i'm allowed to but um there's a program the one that i had recently been part of because of the um because of the what do you call it um because of the the mentor yeah um but but yeah so this this program is it has a lot to do with what you were talking about on the the post-secondary piece of um having that control so mm-hmm. this program is helps by giving you the scholarship you know yeah. to to 
do that post-secondary piece and focus on the stabilization of your mental health and yeah. academic upgrading and all that stuff. Yeah. But the big thing that I loved about, about it was the accountability. Yeah. So the thing is, is being in care, you have to be on a schedule, right? You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to wake up, you have to go to school, you have to do all this stuff, right? And then I went from being in care, like straight up like group home, homeless. Like I got kicked out of the group home because my chronic illness. Yeah. And then... And that was when I was 18, so I was homeless, literally up until the age of 18 and, like, recently. And, I mean, like, majority of it was, like, on the street homeless. So, um, I had no structural, you know, nothing. If I wanted to sit on the street and do drugs, I could if I wanted, you know? But the thing about this program is they give you a rent subsidy. And, um, and, mind you, I'm not taking advantage of it this time just because I'm not in Holton. But they give you a rent subsidy, and that rent subsidy is based off of, um, you attending post-secondary. I'm going to stop right there. Yeah. Yeah, so the deal basically is you go to school and they pay your rent. Mm -hmm. And they pay your rent, so then, um, well, not your rent, but, you know, they pay, like, that portion um, just so you can't say that you didn't follow through with school because you had to work. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They, You can't say that type of thing. And the situation seems a little, uh, like, harsh in a yeah, sense that's a lot but of pressure the thing is is i've been homeless for so long and i'm never risking that again you yeah. know what i mean and i need and i'm the what i'm a uh, uh, um sorry what i am currently a part of um only helps me be housed because it's for the chronically homeless so mm -hmm. that that's the point i need progression i need mm -hmm. to go somewhere and this program is going to help me do that and if my subsidy is on the line, my housing is on the line, I would never risk that. Yeah. And I have to go to school. It, it's like, it's that structural, that, that structure that I've been craving. Yes. The fact that I have to get up in the morning to go to school whether I like it or not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's so literally... You need a reason. Yeah. Like, that's I, what I'm saying. Exactly. And that's what I love so much about my master. It gave me purpose. And I felt so home. The campus is so beautiful. I would love to show you guys that's the campus That's what I was asking if you lived on, like, if you lived... Like, on campus? Yeah. I did first year. But not on campus, but if you were, like, in res. So basically, I was in res. Like, no one can and the experience is something completely different. The frosh mm -hmm. week, welcome week. It's just, like, I was so happy for, like, one week. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, like, uh, I don't even know. That's why, like, you know, you know, after all of that, you know, the, the thing is with me, I was coming straight out of a group home and going into that. I was coming straight out of massive amount of trauma, and I tried doing, like, a deep-ass cleanse a month before, be like, cleanse me of all this negativity, <laughs> you know, I don't want this to be, this is a new chapter, I want nothing to follow me into this new chapter. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. Trauma doesn't just leave you. And so, throughout my experience with post-secondary, I've been battling so much with mental health, with my PTSD, with, like, not being able to focus, with, like, constantly fall, falling asleep into class, with, like, you know, just being depressed and having anxiety, and then I finally got medication, and it's just, like, you know, it's going to take me so much longer to complete my degree. I'm gonna be real, and I would just need, I, I need that support for my school to understand that I'm gonna be taking breaks probably gonna take a year off here. Like, I sliced my leg open first year, mm. you know? Damaged two nerves. Cause like, that is a story that you're gonna have to uh, like tune in for like a different episode. But, um, you know, like at that, 
because of that, I had to. You've signed um, yourself up for like eight more episodes of this, at <laughs> least. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's why, like, I had to take a year off, right? My first year, sliced it open, right? And it was just like, you know, I I don't want to not finish because I'm home, you know? I don't want to leave that. And so, yeah, I still needed work, but I'm going to need so much support because I'm dealing with a tremendous amount of trauma. And why do you think that barely anybody finishes post-secondary? You have to, like, kind of take that pressure off of us a little bit and allow us to just focus. We can't just be like, okay, that's great that we got this scholarship now, these grants, and we have our housing paid for, but now there's so much pressure on us to succeed. And I'm not fully sure if, like, you know, I'm just going to, you know, complete everything off of the the first attempt attempt you know and so i think you know that's something that a lot of post-secondary schools is going to have to like understand about that when it comes to kids in foster care we're coming straight out of trauma Mm -hmm. you know for real i mean my biggest thing with post-secondary is it was the first time i felt like i wasn't behind anymore um like i hated doing my so yeah my favorite thing about school was when i went to i went to mohawk college I'm currently wearing a shirt that says Mohawk for that reason. Um, I went to Mohawk College and I didn't feel the same sense of community that you guys got or that you got to feel. True. But I also didn't live on residence. I also didn't go to Frosh Week. I also didn't do any of that stuff because it does change the game. I don't party. (laughs) I don't. I've always been my keep my nose clean, keep my head down, get the work done, and call it a day, and nobody's gonna bother me. but once I got into school and started making friends, the biggest thing, the thing that was chewing away at me, the thing that gave me a chip on my shoulder was that I was doing this after everybody did. My girlfriend had gone to school as soon as she, as soon as she graduated. My best friends had gone to school as soon as they graduated. I'm living with my best friend right now, and he's finishing year th- three or four of his program, and he's got two more years. Uh, but he took a super long program. He wants to be a biochemist. That guy's unbelievably intelligent. Don't get me started. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I was behind. I took a la- I took a lap year. I took yeah. a year to go become an electrician. That didn't work out. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I lost confidence in my ability to be intelligent. I could have applied out of high school to get into Laurier, which is where I'm headed now, or Waterloo, which is where I'm headed now, um, for psychology. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. I could have done it for law and I didn't um and so I didn't trust that I was ready for that uh, or that I was mature enough for that and maybe I wasn't but once I got into school the issue was I felt like I was way behind everybody yeah I felt like everybody else here has got two years extra to spend two years and etc etc and then once I once I made friends I was like three of my friends were 21 and I was 19 I was like there's people who are like me here. There's people who are mm. still trying to get on track, still trying to get ahead, still trying to move forward, even though they were off for yeah. a couple of years. And so I didn't even look at it from like the foster care aspect. I just looked at it purely from the aspect of like, man, I didn't start when everybody else started and I was I'm still able to catch up. Like Exactly. And so granted I also knew a lot of my. Fr- I also had a lot of friends who are not as intelligent as I am. Uh, granted, they were a little bit uh, further away from me, but I was like, "How can these people, who I know, mm-hmm. I 
am smarter than or I am capable or more capable than go to university and, you know, get ahead and start their lives. And I can't even trust myself to go do it. And so. And that leads back to like that whole mentorship thing. Like one thing overwhelming I've heard from, you know, um, a lot of, I guess, you know, professionals, elders, um, my guidance counselor said this, Tammy Wang, who actually was just like a guest speaker that came to our uh, residence right now. Um, she works for the city of Hamilton. And is that we cannot put like sh- milestones, like strict milestones on our timeline when we can't have con- full control over a situation all the time, you know? And my guidance counselor, when I wants to take a year off, was like, how is this going to affect you five years from now? When you have a degree, will it matter how long it took you as long as you have it? So as, as long as you put in that effort, you know, the timeline in which society tells you you should have it done by shouldn't matter. And that's like the whole anxiety and the fear that makes us feel inadequate is like because we feel like we're falling behind. But at the same time, we we're already behind to begin with. We were put into the situation that supposedly supposed to put us behind. And, and you know, it's kind of just like, we're good. We don't have to fixate on time all the time. We're mm-hmm. young, we're healthy, we're alive. Mm-hmm. Whatever we want, we just should focus on, like, we have a goal. If you have a goal, accomplish that goal. It doesn't matter how long you take it it takes you just work towards it right and then you'll have some kind of purpose or fulfillment in your life you know and so and um i want to kind of like move off on to the next topic super quickly that i want to finish off on unless you guys had like any points that you want to put in uh well i was just gonna say like i've i've always felt like we with the agency we always do stuff with um like post-secondary uh, like just, just t- they usually have conversations about um stuff with post-secondary or grants and all this stuff and I mm-hmm. I'm always the one sitting there confused you know what I mean yeah. I'm always the one sitting there like oh I don't have to be part of this conversation so I usually just go on my phone or something because mm-hmm. I don't even have my high school done you know what I mean I haven't even graduated that's how behind I really do feel like at least my friends that I was sitting there being stupid and doing drugs with and partying with and all this stuff they've graduated you know what I mean so it's just like and to know again like I don't Actually, I don't like to look at things as like me being smarter or more capable or anything, but like I know that I have so much to offer. You know what I mean? I know that I have potential. You know what I mean? I know that I'm smart. I didn't pay attention in school much either, mostly because like I don't need to know how to write an essay. I already know that. You know what I mean? Like I don't need to learn anything about what is it like. Literally, I didn't even pay attention, so I can't even tell you, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I didn't need to... Why do I need to know I, the refraction of light yeah, to like, uh, it's like, be a social I'm, worker? Or, it's like, everybody else yeah. was all confused and stuff, you know what I mean? Because people mm-hmm. didn't know what they wanted to do. I'm sitting here, I'm like, that has nothing to do with human rights law. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know that. I'm, I, yeah. All this is pointless, because I already know what I'm going to do, and how I need to do it, and they what I need be, to do it. Yeah, you they know? should be teaching us more significant things, but one thing that, like, I kind of took from was school was that you know although I didn't want to do all these shit I didn't need any of it it taught me discipline to do the things that I didn't want to do so I kind of mm. looked at it at a different perspective in that way but Just they wait need wait till you get that stats course in, well, yeah, but in they your first year of to university teach us things like financial literacy teach me how to do my taxes please <laughs> that should be a mandatory <laughs> courses in all schools what? in all 
secondary schools, yes. quite frankly. No. Yeah, like, they're available. They're all business, business, business courses. Leadership, but, things like that. But those why, should be mandatory courses. It doesn't make sense that I have to take business. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to go out of my way to take business. I need that to be as, as basic as math. A science that needs to be like what are they called? Ta- uh, mandatory. Mandatory. Mandatory, you know I mean? or the other term for it is, I think, uh, compulsory. Yeah, like I go. want that. It that has to be a compulsory because I'm not gonna take business. I don't care about business. I don't. At least I didn't think I cared about business until I realized that I'm gonna learn how to do. It's my twelfth taxes, year business you know? is what teaches you how to do your taxes, mm-hmm. which means you have to take at least two years worth Wouldn't of business math courses. Prior. Teach you how to do your taxes, social studies. Technically, maybe? it does. Like, it teaches you principal amounts and how to pay down credit and taxes, but okay, it's well. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the core curriculum to go. Hey, this is how you do your taxes, which I agree, it definitely should be. Well, um. Yeah, I absolutely agree that. <clears throat> you know, there's just a lot that needs fixing up to do within the system. And um, I kind of want to kind of uh, rewind back to one point that was made in regards to um, almost like these foster, not just foster parents, but there's certain people within the, the foster care system which are almost entitled or feel entitled to respect or trust to some degree and I'm back at OVOV um I'm going to call her name I'm not even going to be real I'm going to be real um Nancy don't know her last name McGilvery no she's the CEO of York Region CES right now not mine Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, she, uh, and essentially she came to OVOV and kind of like announced her new position. And one thing, as soon as it left her mouth, I was just, I got such, such like, <clears throat> so off-put by it. She basically called all the kids in care her sons and daughters and so Wasn't on. Wasn't that the Lisa McLeod lady? Nancy McLeod? Maybe. I thought it was Lisa McLeod. No, her name's definitely Nancy. Definitely Nancy. Definitely Nancy. Um, cause I remember maybe Cause the Lisa McLeod lady is, was the new government hiring for a position. I don't know if her name's at definitively Ms. Lisa McLeod, but I know that she came up at a power up event. Now, granted, a lot of these did blend for me. Um, there's <laughs> very infrequent that I get, uh, these experience. So it was, I think it was at the symposium in... Remember when? Yeah. I don't even remember yeah. the different names of them at this. Remember point. when we went with Ray? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite frankly, it could have been her. It could have been Nancy. But regardless, whoever it was, she put herself in a position that wasn't hers yet. Was you she? Know? Was she? Hold on. She was white. Yeah, that was the question I was gonna ask. So that was I felt really awkward when she when did she that. said that, and exactly because was what a, she did was like. A symposium? It was at the like, symposium, so and I remember calling people. her, exactly. 2018 was the year that we changed governments, yeah. right? 2018 was when we had Ontario, we had Doug Ford take yes. over in Ontario. That's yes. why. So I think it's Lisa McLeod. Okay. And I think what happened was she took over the position of what Erwin Elman was doing, I think, or something similar. Um, she took over the, I think it's... Advocacy office? Not advocacy office. I think she took over uh, child and youth... Uh, the child and youth form for now granted i'm not a politician i (laughs) study it a little bit i've been around the system for a little bit i've been like dealing with it for five years so forgive me if my information is inaccurate i didn't 
look everything up before I came onto the podcast. Um, but if I'm back on, I'll definitely have a name and detail for you back <laughs> the next time. I promise. Yeah. Um, but essentially, like, yeah, she said that. And when she said that, I remember speaking up the next day and calling her out for it. Because essentially what she did was she put herself in a position that wasn't hers yet. She called everybody her sons and daughters. But, like, first of all, we don't even call our own foster parents that. We don't know Nobody you. in care we can say is our mother or our father because they have to earn that if they truly want to be called mm-hmm. our mom. Yeah. Like, take in the power in that kind of dynamic, first of all, that she put herself in, Mm -hmm. but then also the importance of, you know, earning the name to be called somebody's mother who isn't directly your mother or your father. You earn that, Mm -hmm. right? You don't just walk into a new position and declare that. That was disrespectful. I called her out for it in front of the entire conferences, the entire conference, like the day after, because it was on my mind and on my heart. Yeah, like, I don't know if she's going to see this. I hope she does. And I don't know if anybody commented on it, but there's a slight issue with referring to a huge group of black children as your daughters and sons. First of all, if any white person refers to me as their son in any tense way, shape, or form, that's problematic. You're talking to a lot of children who they're as easy as... Their grandparents, you know what I mean? Or great-grandparents could have been slaves. You know what I mean? Like, this shit doesn't go that far back if people make it seen. You know what I mean? Like, this is just a few decades ago. You 200, know what I gen- mean? 200 years is two generations. Yeah, so... so it's two I, people living to 100. That's literally... That's literally not even my great-grandmother. Barely. You know what I mean? So it's just like... The way... It's just like... You don't refer to us as your son. You know what I mean? Like oh, our slave owners did that to us. And you're gonna sit here and try to put yourself in a in a it's not even in a position owners. of of nurturing or parenthood or guidance, you know what I mean? And then call us your sons and daughters. Yes. It infantilizes. It infantilizes and it definitely infantilizes a large portion of the black community. Whether that be coming from police officers, whether that be coming from uh, politicians a random white person i understand i know a lot of white people and i know that for them it is something that is an offhanded term that they use as a affectionate term the same way they call the kid a lad or a uh, lass like it's they it's lad and lass in in britain in the uk and the eu Mm -hmm. but over here it's son and son and uh i I don't know what they call women Uh, i've never been a woman so i i've I don't hear the reference like that often. Like, but people in our community little use miss that as stuff like disrespect. Like, like when you're beefing with somebody, be like, "You are my son." Mm-hmm. Essentially, like you're girl. belittling them. Yeah, you're, you're taking away their voice, their power, because you're essentially saying that I am your superior, mm-hmm. right? And that is what she did that day. She declared herself as our superior. And she might not have noticed kids. that that was the issue, but she doesn't. She also stated something that she felt comfortable with. Exactly. That we weren't. Exactly. And it was, and like, if people anything, people fight for titles. Yeah. There's cage fighters right now that are practicing to, to go be declared a champion. Mm-hmm. There's basketball players right now in the States working their butt off. Our Raptors, who are winning and killing it, dropped 150. Anyways, uh, 
are Raptors who are working hard <laughs> Do not care, to become champions. They claim that title when they earn it. Exactly. And everybody claims Woo! the title when they earn yeah. it. I wasn't with you until you ended the sentence. Now I get well, it. maybe don't cut me off. <laughs> maybe don't cut me off. Yeah, I want uh, As you were saying. Oh, well, we can't say Lisa. My mom's name is <laughs> She might get oh. offended. Um, the executor, <laughs> yeah. director, individual. Lady McLeod. Um, cool. Lady McLeod. Lady McLeod. That kind of sounds like it does sound nice. Yeah, you still oh, messed up. Right? I know. <laughs> you still. Messed I think up. that makes it even worse. To <laughs> yeah, be honest. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I got chirped for saying "miss" too much when I was in foster care. Same. So did <laughs> My I. mom raised me with manners, and I, I got yelled at for that. Because I'm from America. Like I'm from the south. Everyone's Mister. I used to get into trouble for like you know the whole "miss" not saying it. You know, because like with aunties, uncles, you call them auntie. And you the, the auntie yeah. this, auntie that, and then their name. And then, yeah, I used to get chirped for that, especially in Jamaican homes that it was in. Anyways, go on. I got the opposite effect. Um, I said it, and my foster parents were like, cut that right now. Canadians don't like that shit. Anyways, go ahead. Culture. I mean, I think their perspective was that they have a black foster kid, and him walking around calling them Miss and Mister might not look so Mr. great optically. Uh, like, yeah. hey, Mister X, can I? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that might not look great. Um, Raptors, Lisa McLeod. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, in this world, you earn what you claim. Like, you can't just get up and take a title for. You can't just get up and claim a title without proving yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened when we had the conservative government come in and take over and it's not even like we like the liberal government what they were doing because while they were progressing they've been doing jack ole for a long time and so the issue came in with the fact that this is a a partisan issue though it should be a bipartisan issue Mm -hmm. and this lady who came out of nowhere came in and that title like she didn't earn it and not to, not even Respect to say that the people prior earned it. She just didn't. And so yeah. that's why it was so disrespectful. Yeah. I don't remember the feeling in the room. Like, it was horrible. Could you feel was, that uncomfortableness? Ooh. Like, I don't... Like, immediately? You know what was the was weirdest like, part? For me, I was just angered. Mm. Our directors, who... One of them is black, and another one is a supervisor who Nicole is black. Nicole Bonnie? Are you talking... Barker and... Oh, Barker. And, and Freeman. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah. The heads of our agency, yeah. some of some of the heads of our agency are black. Which um, is really good, by the way. But amazing good. people. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why I'll always big up Halton, is they're always doing their best. I'm not even saying that, um, like, they're definitely suited for the positions that they're in. There's not a question about it. These people are, like, definitely people who you'd want leading. Yeah. But I'm just so proud to say that, like, they're willing to have people of color in positions of high, like high up positions. Like the director is second to only our current director. I'm pretty sure. So like, and like, I don't know. It's, it's just, I've always felt uh, empowered by that very fact was that the second, second in command of our, our ship was a black lady who I was fortunate enough to learn and know, learn about and know about personally because of things like OVOV in 2016 and and this in 2018. Um, and think about it like this, you know, especially because, like, we're overrepresented within um, the agencies, <laughs> what, over 40% of kids in care are black. 
or at least in Toronto that we know for sure, but probably even more in Toronto. But yeah, there's a huge disproportionality there that was talked a lot about by Kike Ojo um, at the OVOV. And it's a reality. So being able to have somebody who's properly able to represent us and know what our needs are is big. It's huge. big in kind of determining our successes. Because we need somebody who identifies with us to be able to advocate us. And I'm pretty sure us. that they were responsible for Halton's own increased budget for hair. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. there was Absolutely. things like that. Um, but when they, like, I looked at them when this lady was speaking. Like, I saw her come up. I go, and I was looking at them. Because I was disagreeing with them with a lot of the things. I was, in 2018, not completely on board with what OVOV was doing. And to this day, uh, I'm not completely on board if that's still what they're doing. Um, They were pushing for a solely black CIS, and I don't agree with segregation of any type. Yeah, I don't know that, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, it was was on the plans, and that put me off to them. It's not... I still think that the events and what they're doing, bringing together the black community within CIS was huge and i totally support that i'd always support them to go for more events i'm happy my tax dollars go to that but um segregation of cas is i i can't understand i think it would be better to just try and hire people who understand people better and here's the thing with all that i think what was so vital with that whole speech that she gave was that yes there was that superiority complex but there's also just no partnership in order for this to work this is not a i declare what happens for you Mm. and just hope that you're successful no this is a partnership we work together and that's what's been lacking for so long that's why i've been pushing to have these conversations because i'm pushing for a partnership between the kids in care and the government and the decision makers Yes, they're the adults, but ultimately we see what goes on behind closed doors, right? And we can speak on the reality of it. And the reality of it is she declared herself the mother of us and mothers protect their kids. And she didn't because the ombudsman office took over the advocacy office and we lost our ability to actually talk to somebody. Every person in Canada, or at least in Ontario knows how ridiculous getting something through the ombudsman office is. is yeah. I, the first thing I heard from my own foster parents when this happened was, why would you ever deal with the ombudsman office? <laughs> wow. Like, how ridiculous is And it wasn't just my foster parents. It was every single person I talked to that was from middle or upper class that might have problems that might deal with the ombudsman office and i think that really speaks for i'm not sure if it speaks for the entire conservative party as a whole or just their leader doug ford and i don't want to like i I, mitchell over here doesn't like it when i call somebody out directly but at the same time you know sometimes it needs to be done let's be real because what (laughs) it said to us is that and i even wrote this down at the annual board meeting it told us basically that we're not looking for a partnership here. We're not le- looking to listen to you, okay? We're going to take away our voice, your voice, and because, let's be real, the foster care system makes a lot of money. I don't trust know? Doug Ford as far I as I can throw him when it comes like, to this issue. For because somebody who we want to be like our leader, we need somebody who's going to be transparent, who's going to be honest. It's not even that. Doug Ford doesn't care about something until it affects him. He didn't care about COVID, until, and that was never more apparent than this year. Doug Ford didn't care about COVID until it affected him, and he started losing family members to it, or his family member was afflicted with it. Then he really started pushing for masks, and I can understand that. 
kids. He has kids. He should care about kids, but he doesn't because his kids aren't in foster care. His kids, are, his kids are fortunate enough that they had a father who was there to help raise them. Or, or I think his kids aren't in foster care because he's Doug Ford. I don't think his kids aren't in foster care because they don't need to be in foster care because they have a good. I'm saying they're stuff. fortunate enough to have a father who's able to be there to raise him, and they yeah. benefit truly from the fact that they were white. Because, I mean, the only reason I'm in care <laughs> is because I'm black. Is it? Yeah, there was kids who were in my neighborhood, in my neighborhood, who had worse upbringings than I did, and and we were taken away. Same family unit, same family size. The difference was they were white and we were black. I actually missed less days of school than half of the kids in my neighborhood, and I was put into care for negligence. Wow. Doesn't make any sense. That and oh, I think you guys should look into like York CES. There's actually a website right now that I'm just going to mention. Uh, I actually might even not include this into the actual podcast to be real. I might cut this part out. Note, take note of this. But there's actually um, off record um, a website right now called Stop York CES, and they talk about how you know they're actually encouraged to have more kids in care. So they look for these like minor situations to put kids in care because they have to reach a certain budget by the end of every year, and so um, re- yeah. It, we could get into a lot more about that, but I think you know. End of story yeah. is this isn't police. We're not quotas. Don't yeah. ticket a child. Don't give a child a traumatic experience that's going to affect them their whole life. To We're not. Yourself. This isn't a speeding fine. Okay, this isn't. This isn't something that you could go. Here's a ticket because you were doing something that is actually wrong, and it's not going to affect you more than hey, I gotta go pay this speeding ticket. This isn't a quota. This isn't something that you can just go, hey, I need to make this many amounts of pullovers or stoppages for me to look like I'm actually doing my job. Exactly. No, this is... This is our whole life. This is is our whole life. Exactly. I feel like... I feel like there needs to be... For their job to be considered done... And I say this with a lot of, like, exceptions and moderation... um, Modifications. But I feel like... Maybe, I feel like them, um, what, what, what did you just say? I'm so sorry. About, um, to make them feel like they did their job. Oh, yeah, budget. I feel like the budget shouldn't be what shows, quote, unquote, that they did their job or whatever. I think it should, be they should success start. success and well-being. Yeah, I think that kids. they should start, like, showing numbers of how many people are actually going to college. And they don't for a reason. Yeah, exactly. They don't keep track of people who actually age out of the foster care system. And it that's one like thing that is gene. Kova is currently working on is to be able to track the success of kids in care because they don't want to face the reality that a bunch of kids are in shelters and my foster mom's quote for me since I was 14 was that CAS will not care for you once you graduate Mm -hmm. they will push you to graduate and once you graduate you're on your own they'll Mm -hmm. wash their hands of you like nobody's business absolutely and And that is why and that is why um, with our last episode, our very first episode with Connor Lowe's, he, they were talking about the readiness indicator to be able to change that whole language, that whole idea of aging out of the foster care system and replace it with, like, when is somebody ready to be independent? Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea with 18-year-olds, 21-year-olds, you know, because we have two aging outs, right? One where it's just we're no longer in the possession of the government. The second one is we're no longer getting the financial support from the government. At we, have, we have three, mm-hmm. we have to three, be completely yeah. honest. Oh, and then we have three. 25. Mm-hmm. Yes, 25. Well, it's, it's not even that. It's, we have 16-year-olds who get put into semi-independent. 
we yeah. have th- 15 year olds who get put into semi-independent in some places so yeah. it's like you have kids who granted at 16 i think i could have taken care of myself do i think i would have done it well no. no that's why i needed to stay in my home and that's why i did stay in my home mm-hmm. my worker told me to me flat she yeah. said you're dumb no stay in your home mm-hmm. you're not ready for this yet yeah. And I guarantee you, I probably wasn't. I would have made do, but I probably wouldn't be as far ahead as I am now if I didn't stay there longer. Absolutely. That's and why I, like- I know kids who left at 16. I know kids who, to avoid homelessness, were put out into semi-independent because the group homes wouldn't take them in anymore. Mm-hmm. I know kids who had to go back to horrible situations because they weren't looked, they weren't going to be looked after anymore. And yeah. from that, like... Our, our friend who ended up having to move to Ottawa like went from a situation in a group home where he was unhappy to being in a situation living back home where he was not in a safe environment whatsoever there was guns there was this that and the third and then he and then he finally gets out he finally moves away and now it's taken him years to get back on his feet yeah he's just now getting back on his feet we need I'm to proud of that him language. for it. Yeah, I'm really proud of Connor Lowe's because like, he's currently like the interim president for Youth and Care Canada. And that's something that he's been working on with Cheyenne Ratnam, um, who is the founder of the Ontario something uh, advocacy coalition. And so the whole idea with the readiness indicators, I think it's really important. And I 100% vouch for that. Workers... Well, when Aiden was talking about the, um, they don't really care after you graduate. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like they either don't care after you graduate, and I also feel like they don't care after they start to feel like you're not going to graduate. Like, if they don't mm-hmm. think that you're going to graduate, they kind of throw their hands up. Because it's just like, they just don't see it getting anywhere type of thing. And yeah. I feel like, um, at that point, it's basically the same thing as graduating. It's like, this is as far as you're going to get in this sector, so whatever. You know what I mean? So... I um, I just feel like yeah, I th- I feel like I was people were on my back, on my back, on my back, and I. I literally have one credit left. I have still to this day one credit left, and um, I ended up leaving school right before I got that last credit done, and, it's like the second I was homeless, everyone's hands got like you know they were just like we can't do anything now. You're eighteen. You happen to be homeless now that you're 18, so, you know what I mean? And the thing was, I was still living in a group home when I was 18, right? So, because the group home I was in, you were able to possibly stay to 18 as long as you're doing what they said or whatever. But, um, so understand that being 18, I was fortunate to still be able to stay in a group home. You know what I mean? But, but, um... Fortunate to still stay in a hellscape. Yeah, Yeah, like, think about that. And, um, I just, I... Man. I was fortunate enough to stay in a group home. Um, sorry. And um and it like, just what did that do for you? Like Well, I mean I had a place to live. Yeah. <laughs> Realistically. Like, um and it was just hard thinking that I was gonna be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? The not being okay. And then um It's like we're settling. Out of all things, I actually got which I think there needs to be more light on, but obviously not for this topic. But, like, when it comes to youth and care with chronic disability, chronic illnesses, you know what I mean? Like, Mental health. I fully got kicked out of the group home because I couldn't go to the gym because I was having a flare-up. 
Like, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. And I was having a flare-up, and I couldn't go to the gym. Mm. So I got kicked out of the group home. Think they handed that. me garbage bags and a list of shelters, and I left. And that was it. Imagine, keep in mind, when you're having a flare-up, especially with what I was having, I've, you have next to no mobility. And they put me on the street. For you know that. what I mean? With bags. I can't even hold them because Garbage if I bags. do, it pulls Same on thing. my shoulder and I can't. You know what I mean? Same thing so it's just like, I really... And then that's why the whole aging out thing, I, I stress on numbers. Because the way my timeline worked out, 18, I was in a group home. I became homeless. You know what I mean? So then for those years... I disappeared from the advocacy work I was doing for yeah. a bit. I disappeared literally from everyone. I was on, like, I was making very, very bad decisions with my life. You know what I mean? So I didn't want anyone to see me like that. Um, and then I turned 21. What was it? Last year. Um, last year, December, I turned 21. And I had just got housed um, at the age of 20, maybe. No. Yeah, at the age of 20, I had just gotten housed. Um... I had just gotten clean from the drugs that I was doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I had just had my baby. and then Started recovery. Yeah, yeah. I come fully, fully recovery. You know what I mean? And I had my baby November 27th. And when I tell you I turned 21 December 2nd, and I did not get one check with that baby, not one, and I aged out. So understand that I had the baby, and they were like, oh, we're so happy for you. He's so beautiful, but we can't do anything for you. You know what I mean? Because I was 21. I literally had the baby turn 21 and that was it. And there's people in the agency fighting for us to be able to do something with her and we are with him and we couldn't. Mm -hmm. It was just, it's so, it's so ridiculous. And the fact that they don't care, they consider, oh, you're 21, so you should be good. You know what I mean? I just got stable. (laughs) Like just got stable. That's why we talk about like this whole role as a government trying to take over legal guardianship of kids you're 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 trying you're taking over responsibility for somebody you know you're trying to care for someone's life Mm -hmm. right and you know once you become a parent you don't just stop being a parent ever with the second either you or your child dies is when you stop becoming a parent Right, maybe even 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 after that, even after that, yeah, your lessons live on, your ideology lives on when you're parenting, like all that stuff stays. Just give, they just like pretend like you didn't even exist after you turn a certain age, and that's not right. You can't do that, and that's like the biggest indicator that that you know. Government doesn't care about these thousands of kids. They put on a face, they put on a mask, and pretend like they do for the public just so they look good. And it, it's it's disgusting because like when it starts to actually like you know when kids actually want to start talking about their experiences, the reality, well, we're, they're gonna shut us down. Watch them try. Watch them try. Again, I think I will always claim my foster parents. My my actual mother and my worker are my biggest benefit but like i couldn't imagine feeling comfortable going to school living on res and then not having a place to live the months i'm not on res yeah yeah right. because i can't go back home there is no home mm-hmm. i'm 18 i'm no longer a foster yeah. kid um, I i'm 21 i'm no longer getting supported to be on res I'm no longer getting support to be in, like, my... Now, granted, I feel real bad for King, King. because when COVID hit, they extended till the end of the year everybody's uh, CCSY. Really? 
Yeah. So CCS, uh, right CCSY extended to yeah. 21. I know, that's why I told Cassie. Three months after yeah, King Angel. I, I put, so um, we should probably still be able to No, get this, it. Is what I, this is what I was telling our youth leader. Sorry, because I can't say names. But that's what I was telling her because I just aged out. Yeah. Just. Like, just. You know what I mean? Like, come Those, on. They should be able to extend it. I think it. that the 21-year-olds like, should, should at least. You know what I mean? I like, know. And also. But, like, think of it like that. Like, bro. Even like, at 21, there's... They, they stop caring. Even, care like, I was able to get my stuff together out. by 21, but mm-hmm. if I fumbled for a year more, I might be in dire straits come next year. Yeah. Like, the difference is Bruh. one choice. The difference could be one choice to go out and hang out with a couple of friends and you relapse and then, like, that mm-hmm. stuff is ridiculous. Well, I, um, I like mm-hmm. to consider my privilege because okay. being a black trans past addict da, 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 minority minority you know what i mean like being all that i still have i still like to acknowledge my privilege in the system you know really I mean? the king of and minorities I, eh? and <laughs> I really literally am the king the, of minorities. the king of minorities <laughs> but what do you call it but um i just like to consider yeah that privilege portion like i i do a lot of stuff with cas i'm well known with cas people mm-hmm. like me at cas i'm mm-hmm. very yeah. You know what I mean? Like, people, person. But what does that do for you? Like, but what does it do for you? The thing is, is it, it does, the fact that it even does a little more than it would a person not that, the way I think about it is, if it they're not us, listening to but me. But they still don't If they're not listening you. to me. Yeah. yeah. And they don't respect me, and I'm me. I'm that Kingston. speaks volumes what about, on them. What about, what about Jason? Anybody. You yeah. know what I mean? What about the little kid that nobody's listening to? Exactly. What about the little kid Tina? Who can't you know what I mean? The, the kid that isn't involved in CAS or who that's not doing the advocacy. The yeah. one that's literally just been forgotten. Yeah. Are you even looking at her? You not, know what I mean? Mm, I like, at not. least you're glimpsing at me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's and think you about how hard in front of their he vision fights, yeah. and you mm-hmm. wave your arms and make sure that they cannot not see you mm-hmm. kind of thing. But there's Tina who doesn't know her rights and she can't wave her arms because she doesn't even know if she can wave her hand. The whole you idea know? of the foster care system is stupid, man. Mm-hmm. It's stupid. The idea is good. It is a good premise to want to take on and help children who are abused, yeah. beaten, left behind. I also feel like that's people's, that's like, I feel like that's the same thing as people saying that the idea of police is good. The idea well, of police is. is good. That's, yeah, but... But that's the reality. But There's the a thing, difference between ideology and then the way that that ideology works. Yeah. Well, clearly we want a the different um, basis because I don't think the idea of police are good at all. I think it's all awful. No matter yeah, what, but, you can't avoid policing. Okay, anyways, before okay. we... Yeah. Before... Before... <laughs> before we do that... That's the next podcast, guys. Like, um, so I really kind of wanted to close off this conversation mm-hmm. super quickly and kind of really talk about, um, you know, <clears throat> you know, two things. Um, so first thing I wanted to mention is, so... We what we need to do right now is kind of talk about you know clearly what needs to change. Okay, what needs to change is the leadership that is representing youth in care. They don't care. Okay, mm-hmm. um, we need to be able to have somebody who understands us, who's emotional, who's passionate to be able to represent us. Right. I don't That's even need thing. you to care, but I need you to do your job. I, I, we <laughs> need you to do your job. Mm-hmm. I don't know how somebody gets but elected to protect do, kids yeah. and doesn't protect kids year after year after year and still has their job. But you can't get do out your of there. job if you don't care. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. There has to be some kind of joy, some kind of passion there for you to do it well. There should be, but I, I'm fine with someone who's able to just a get it done. snake and just gets the job done. <laughs> as long as it's too. getting done. That right. is great. And so, 
I would, need to be I able would, to vote better. I would well. prefer. I would love the passionate. I would love Lisa McLeod to be our mom if she could really do it. If she could really do it, she could be the best lady. I wouldn't because she could declare. I, think I she lost the respect. Okay, yeah. I, listen, 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 listen. <laughs> Assuming she didn't come out saying the ridiculous nonsense that she came out yeah, saying. If she earned it, yeah, if she earned it and claimed it, and you know was slave able to be. Didn't own slaves. Okay, hold on. Just let's assuming that she came out this bubbly person who was really easy to get along with and really worked for us mm-hmm. that would be i would be super passionate I, and super passionate did their did their job to the best of their abilities and pushed for us to get mm-hmm. better off in life yeah because it's necessary or whatever so what is if she their was job? that would be great but even if she was just the person who did her job what and protected job? us because that's what her job is, is to protect and make sure that the youth who are falling behind, falling behind because of no situational choice of their own, yeah. get an even playing ground, not ahead, an even playing ground. That's what we fight for. Yeah. We just want to start at the same point. That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I start at 25. And so- I just want to be able to start at the same point. And so some things that could allow us to get us to that even playing point is work on our mental health, okay? We need serious, serious work on mental health health early on, right? Um, education, because regardless, education is important. Um, most, most important. Absolutely. Stability and that consistency in the support, you know, just stability and consistency, consistency in general when it comes to housing, when it comes to being able to stay connected with your siblings and staying in the same foster home. Those and the mentorship matter. of somebody who's and mentorship, done it. Mentorship. Perfect. We could talk about that. We could work on that if you want to, if you care. And, you know, your and response we're here. will... We're We've here. been here. We've been here. King and I have been here we're for eight years doing this. Yeah. Or seven years doing this. We have the rap sheet. We're happy to help. Absolutely. And so the final thing, which I want to ask both of you guys before we close off here, is what exactly would it, would you need to be able to overcome some of those experiences within the foster care system? If there's anything that you would want that will help you out right now, what would you want help with? Housing, education, emotional support, counseling, rehab. What I needed to overcome foster care, what I needed to get ahead was mentorship mentorship that was the biggest thing it wasn't money it wasn't i was good with money i've always been good with money it wasn't it was support from somebody who actually cared and i was fortunate enough to have that from big brothers big sisters prior to even going into foster care so it's that in and of itself it is Finding somebody who can help guide this kid when their foster parents can't. It's finding somebody who can, ha- who this kid can open up to when mm-hmm. somebody else, when no, when they can't open up to anybody else. It's being able to depend on a person, and you have to be okay with foster kids rejecting the same applicant eighty-five times. Because whether that person wants to be there or not, if they break when a foster kid pushes them away, then they ain't it. Mm-hmm. And it might not be, they just might not be for that kid. Yeah. 
There might be a kid out there that will push them only so far, and then they don't break, and then that kid's perfect with them. Mm -hmm. But you have to make sure that these people are good people, and they're not going to abuse the children in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure that they're consistent people, and they're not going to break these kids' hearts yeah. three, four months down the line after they formed a good relationship, or two years down the line once they formed a good relationship. These yeah. people have to be in it for the long haul. So what would you need right now to help you overcome the effects of foster care, if any? Mm. Um, monetary support would be very nice. Um, uh, yeah, monetary support would be so nice. Um, um, Emotional support would be really nice, too. Um, mm, mm, I, I don't know. Honestly, those are two big things. Mm -hmm. I think we could work with that. Mm -hmm. Any kind of final remarks for you guys? Okay. Um, I... This has been a very good conversation. It's just so tiring, though. You yeah, know what I mean? It is. Like, I'm so sick of talking about this. <laughs> like, I'm just so sick of talking about it. Yeah. Like, why are we still talking about it? You know what I mean? I hear you. Like, it just, it's just so frustrating. Why am I sitting here talking about how I need monetary support? Don't you think? Like, look at it from a government standpoint. You know what I mean? Like, you're giving a single parent 360 a month <laughs> to take care of their child. Oh, my mom's You know laughing. what I mean? <laughs> she, like, she was on. <laughs> like, you're, you're, how am I supposed to do that? How? Just literally how? Like, think about it. Baby's food is like $50 at least. You know wow. what I mean? Like, how? And that's not including internet and phone bill. That's already something, the whole 360. You know what I mean? So, um... It's just frustrating, and it's really frustrating to feel like, oh, I'm 21 now, so I'm good. You know what I mean? Or, like, I'm in Peel. I'm living in Peel. You know what I mean? It's really frustrating. Um, it's really frustrating that because I couldn't afford Halton rent, I'm forgotten about. I feel like I'm just out here in Peel. You know yeah. what I mean? And, like, Halton, the agency that I advocate for. Yeah. You know what I mean? The agency that I do so much work for. Sometimes I feel like they forget about me. You know what I mean? Because I'm Mountain Peel. You know what I mean? Or because I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Or, like, sometimes I can't get through the people. Yeah. You know, because I'm just not emotionally able to have a conversation. It's these conversations like this that, like, even if they literally drain me emotionally healing. and mentally and physically, yeah, like, they have to happen. They Nobody's going to get better without these conversations taking place. Yeah. So I'm just so happy that we were able to come here. I would just say the golden rule of foster care should be if you wouldn't want it for your kid, don't put it on our kids. For real. End of story. If you wouldn't want your kid to have to deal with going to school with a garbage bag to put in their locker because they're getting kicked out of their home that day, don't give that to our kid. Yeah. If you don't want 
your kid not going through school because nobody's helping support them, don't put that on our kids. If you don't want your kid falling into drugs because they were kicked out and homeless, if you don't want them falling into drugs because they were misguided and let alone when they shouldn't have been, don't give it to our kids. Don't kick our kids out. Don't put them in a situation where they have to be homeless. Don't force that on them. Yeah. You've been saying things that I've been saying for years now. We're not the first ones. We're not the first ones. But we understand what needs to happen. 2014 was when the laws changed. And you know we're not going to be the last ones either. No. But we'll, we'll make it easier for the next generation. I am going to be, for God, for, no, yeah, I'm going to be doing everything I can, humanly possible, to make sure that I make it easier for the next generation. Mm-hmm. For sure, like my son's not this going to. This is gonna be this. a fight. <laughs> this is gonna be a fight, and this is gonna be draining. But yeah, you really gotta make sure that you're emotionally prepared for this. So, um, pretty much to kind of end this off, I would love you guys to plug in your information, any platforms, anything that you want to promote, anything that you got going on. You could do that. Here's what I'll promote. If you're not part of the agency and you're listening to this. <clears throat> Go find your local agency and go talk with them. Find out how you can help. Whether that be you become a foster parent because you are ready and able to meet the requirements. Whether that be you become a mentor or or a guidance member or a member, even just a regular member of the community. Whether it be you become part of the Donors Foundation. It doesn't matter how you help. All that matters is that you're willing to. Yeah. Um. It I don't matters, have any social media. It matters for me how you help. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Shanice has my email. <laughs> PayPal me. <laughs> no, honestly. Um, yeah, we'll talk Setting more up about that. Setting up that account for a kid. To be honest. <laughs> right. um, but, guys, thank you so much for coming here. This has been so powerful. This, this has been a long-ass conversation, a long journey. But it's so vital and it's going to change the game. Let's be real. This will change the game. I'm going to make sure of it. If you have made it to the end, thank you so much for listening. Please support us by liking and sharing our content and support the youth that come onto our show. So you've just gotten insider information from the outsiders. And we hope in some way you found a home in us. We will see you next time. But until then, take care.